We didn't invent Kid Talk. We perfected it. And at a very young age, you're listening to Voice America Kids. Stars could shine between the lines If you would let yourself go Find some place you know You can use your words, use your hands You can change the world, just pretend Express yourself, take a chance and you'll see Who you'll be It's time to express yourself Where teens talk and the world listens Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. A child who reads will be an adult who thinks. That quote is from Saucer Salmina. Additionally, reading gives you a new perspective on life from Roald Dahl. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Kids Network. I'm Joven Hundle, and today's theme is the gift of literacy. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions and brought to you as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity which is a top nonprofit honored by both GuideStar and great nonprofits. Please visit www.bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation and get more information about how you, too, can be a part of our mission to increase literacy and positive message media. Be The Star You Are needs your donations to help us help those in distress by providing books and other resources. Please donate today at bethestarur.org, and you can even donate there through PayPal Giving Fund, which has no additional fees. And to start off this hour, we'll be reading a chapter from our upcoming book, Millennials to Boomers, available now at CynthiaBryan.com slash online hyphen store. Make sure to pick up your coffee today. Um, and without further ado, here is The Gift of Literacy by Kimberly Morgan. Once upon a time is a phrase that, as a child, thrilled me more than the sound of an ice cream truck's jingle moving down my block. Sure, the arrival of a frozen sweet treat was tempting, but it never compared to the promise of a story a journey upon which I can embark at any time, right in my own living room. Books have not only been a joy for me, but they have also fostered my education and career. I achieved many great things in school and eventually became a writer because my parents started reading to me when I was a baby. Exposure to books at a very early age, combined with daily reading sessions, can make the process of mastering literacy easier and more natural. So I strongly believe that if we, as millennials, want our children to have a bright future, we need to plant the seed during their infancy. I was introduced to books when I was six months old. My parents often bring up fond memories of our story times, where I would point at and name familiar objects in picture books, and my parents would read to me every day. Then, as a toddler, I would rush to the couch with my basket of books, fling myself down, and excitedly chant to my father, books, books, books. Not only would he proceed to read every book, classes like Good Night Moon, Love You Forever, and all of Dr. Seuss's stories, but he was required to read them twice on a daily basis, along with the newspaper on the weekends. Being exposed to books every day as an infant paved the way for my successful education. I learned to read and write before I started school. Elementary school teachers dubbed me as the best reader in the class. I was placed in advanced programs in middle school and high school. My academics resulted in a $2,000 scholarship and numerous awards. More rewarding than any of those, however, was the discovery of my calling at age 13, journalism. My passion for reading evolved into the desire to write for a living. I became features editor for my middle school and high school newspapers, writing and editing entertainment articles. Digital technology became more prominent at this time, so all the work that I did for the newspapers took place on the computer. I honed my craft while also improving my communication and computer skills, and I relished every second. I graduated from high school with high grades, earned journalism department medals, and was invited to attend a journalism conference at Warner Bros. Studios. In college, I chose journalism as my major on the first day of freshman year without hesitation. Writing for the campus newspaper allowed me to cover events, attend concerts, and interview interesting and valuable community members. I was invited to join a national society for journalists and was placed on the dean's honor list multiple times. I reached the pinnacle of my achievements by obtaining my four-year degree in journalism. 
Feeling humble to have experienced the wonders of literacy, I was eager to, to apply my skills to the workforce. There was no question about what I wanted to do after my education ended. I knew I wanted to keep writing. I became a freelance writer for a website that encouraged unique and compelling stories. I also worked an office job for more professional learning and experience, but because I proved to the company early on that I could help promote its mission with my writing skill, I was asked, asked to craft the content of the promotional materials. My work, the giant bookcases in my room, and a fervent need to educate others demonstrate that I am still passionate about literacy to this day. I don't think I ever really had trouble with deciding what I wanted to do for a living, even as a child. Since the day my parents started reading to me, my destiny was solidified. When I was old enough to start taking my future career path seriously, I wanted to make a difference by writing. I wanted people to experience the same love for storytelling that I had done. I wanted to spark conversations through my writing. And above all, I wanted my work to be educational and entertaining. I cannot stress enough the importance of literacy for our children. This ability is required for them to be successful in school and in the workplace. It can also enrich their lives, allowing them to communicate clearly with others while boosting confidence and self-esteem. Still, many have struggled to obtain the skill, perhaps because they weren't consistently exposed to books early on. Don't wait until they are past the toddler stage. Babies begin forming basic habits and absorb information like a sponge. The key is to start reading to them early and read to them every day. Fortunately, in this digital age, improving your child's literacy has never been easier. Library computers, ebooks and e-readers, literacy programs, apps, and the internet can make learning to read and write simple and fun. You can search for any of these helpful tools online. Of course, there will always be good old books. There's something wonderful about opening a book with your child and letting him or her turn the pages. Most bookstores have a children's area where your little ones can sit in colorful chairs and read age-appropriate books. Please take advantage of this incredibly enriching and bonding experience. Parents who start reading to their children during infancy are shaping a successful future for their education and career. If you are thinking about having a baby, this is definitely something you need to plan on doing. To see your child achieve greatness and enrichment, pick up a book. Perhaps he or she, too, will excitedly chant books, 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 and nourish your baby every day with the gift of literacy. And here's a small little exercise Kimberly included called Picture Book. A fun do-it-yourself project would be to make a simple book by gathering pictures of objects and people that your baby would recognize. For example, a toy or a family member. Search on the computer for pictures and print them, or you can also cut out pictures from magazine pages. Then, put them in a photo album. Next to each picture, write the word that best describes it. Point to the pictures and say the words and names aloud to your little one. Encourage him or her to respond by asking about the words or names. These practice sessions will nurture your baby's basic reading habits and visual learning skill. Try to make time for this valuable experience on a daily basis. You can even do this project ahead of time if you're expecting or want to have a baby. Store your homemade book, along with other books or a child-friendly e-reader if you'd prefer, into a brightly colored plastic basket. In a small little quote she's included, the more that you read, the more that you will know. Sorry, the more that you read, the more things you will know. The more you learn, the more places you'll go. That quote is, of course, from Dr. Seuss. Well, so I really enjoyed that chapter by Kimberly. I think she touched on some important points in that um, if we expose children to reading and literacy early on, then it's definitely going to help them whether or not they do go into journalism, like something she had. Whether you're just in school and wanting to get ahead in school, whether you want to get good grades in school, whether you want to help position yourself for a job later on, or maybe if you just want to increase your own skills just for the sake of doing so, if you want to improve yourself as a person. Um, reading and literacy is definitely a great approach to take. You know, if you do... Um, expose your children to these stuff early, then they're definitely going to grow up having a more solid foundation in reading. It could even become one of their favorite hobbies. I know it certainly has for me. Um, and so another important thing that I think um, was present in Kimberly's chapter is so how she was able to foster this love for journalism that resulted in her majoring in journalism and pursuing journalism later on. It all started because she was actually exposed as a kid. So if she wasn't exposed to reading and literacy as early, then perhaps she might not have ended up taking the path that she did. So yeah, there's a lot of interesting things that can happen then when we um, 
promote this sort of literacy amongst our children, you know, and it, they can take a lot of different directions too. So just because somebody reads a lot doesn't necessarily mean that English is their favorite subject or that they want to major in English. If you just encourage your child to read, maybe they'll find out that they love reading history books or reading about science, reading about all sorts of different things that could also foster a love in other fields. But again, it all started from reading and literacy and that whole ballgame. Um, and then I also especially love the picture book ex exercise that Kimberly had included. So it sounds simple enough, you know, just including things that might be familiar to your baby, taking pictures of them, putting them in this sort of scrapbook kind of thing. But, you know, I definitely think it's something that will, you know, subconsciously appeal to babies. So they might see this toy that they love so much. They might see this family member, their um, favorite uncle, cousin, whatever, um, and immediately go towards this book, which, again, will kind of foster that sense of a love for reading. I especially love how, um, Kimber, we finished the exercise description by mentioning that you should put this book in a brightly colored plastic basket to, you know, attract the kid to this book even more. And so, yeah, I just thought this was a really interesting chapter. provided a lot of insight into um, reading, literacy, all that. And also make sure to remember that this anthology, sorry, this chapter is actually from our upcoming anthology, Be the Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, Positive Voices in a Changing Digital World, which is actually available now. So make sure to check that out at cynthiabryan.com slash online store with a hyphen in between online and store. Um, and so, yeah, I want to thank Kimberly for all the insights she provided into today's theme. But unfortunately, that is all the time we have for this segment. Our listeners, be sure to support our show and these amazing segments by donating to the Be The Star You Are charity that brings you this program. We have lots of fun events coming up, so check out bethestarur.org and follow our blog. I'm Joven Hundle. Make sure to also watch Be The Star You Are's fun and informative videos at youtube.com slash Be The Star You Are. And in addition, Be The Star You Are founder and our amazing Stress Yourself producer, Cynthia Bryan, has just authored a brand new book, Growing with the Goddess Gardener. It's now available at the same website I said before for our anthology, which is again, cynthiabryan.com slash online hyphen store. Um, so make sure to check out both of our books there. And 25% of the proceeds from this uh, Growing with the Goddess Gardener book will actually directly benefit Be The Star You Are and Express Yourself. And also make sure to keep listening as we continue our conversation about the gift of literacy. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Sometimes we may sound strange, but remember, we're just kids with opinions. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us here at Voice America Kids. I'm Joven Hundle on Express Yourself, and today's theme is the gift of literacy. In this segment, we have an amazing guest joining us today. Matthew Dix is a best-selling novelist, 36-time Moth Story Slam champion, and five-time Grand Slam champion. For those who don't know, The Moth is a nonprofit that promotes storytelling nights and competitions all across the United States. In addition to Matthew's teaching, writing, and performing, he co-founded with his wife, Speak Up which produces sold-out storytelling performances throughout Connecticut, Massachusetts, and New York at least once a month. He currently lives in Connecticut. His books are the international... He's the internationally best-selling author of the novels Memoirs of an Imaginary Friend, Something Missing, Unexpectedly, Milo, The Perfect Comeback of Caroline Jacobs, and the upcoming book Storyworthy, Engage, Teach, Persuade, and Change Your Life Through the Power of Storytelling. 
um, and his novels have been, actually been translated into more than 25 languages worldwide. He's also the author of the rock opera The Clowns, and the musical is Caught in the Middle, Sticks and Stones, and Summertime. He's written comic books for Double Take Comics, and has also been published in Slate, Reader's Digest, The Christian Science Monitor, The Huffington Post, and others. He's also a regular guest on several Slate podcasts, including The Gist, where he teaches storytelling. And with that, let's welcome Matthew onto the show. Hi, Matthew. Hello. Thank you. That was quite the introduction. I, I fear that I will not match up to it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. I'm sure you'll do great. Um, and so just kind of wanted to dive right in. I wanted to ask, so what exactly is the importance of storytelling to you? Oh, well, it's it's a lot of things. You know, I think one of the wonderful things about storytelling is when I tell people a story, uh, I make myself vulnerable. I speak from a place of authenticity and honesty. And the result is that when I speak um, in front of people in that way, it opens up a space for them to speak. And so what happens is I end up getting uh, many people's stories shared with me, secrets that they've never shared with anyone in their lives. Well, they'll often come up after a show and start telling me about things that they've dreamed of telling other people, and I have the honor of being the one they talk to. So uh, there's a lot of benefits to storytelling, but one is just the idea that I'm able to connect with other human beings in a way that I wouldn't normally if I wasn't telling a story. Definitely. And, you know, like storytelling, so it's this, like, millennia-old um, tradition that's been going on generation to generation. But I also wanted to ask how you think it's sort of evolved into, like, our modern-day form of storytelling. Yeah, I think it's taken off, you know, in terms of an art and a craft and entertainment because uh, for a lot of reasons, but one of them is we spend so much time staring at screens and we communicate with to people through little bite-sized bits, you know, text messages and tweets and everything that we want now is sort of available at our fingertips. If I want to watch a TV show, I can watch it whenever I want. So you know, when someone tells a story, it's a connection that goes beyond the screen. You actually look at a human being and listen to them. And it's one of those things that if you go to a if you go to a moth slam or one of the shows that we produce, when you're there, you're the that's the only chance to hear that show. You know, when someone's telling a story, it's the one and only opportunity you have to hear that story. And I think that sort of appointment listening is missing today. And people love that, that idea that you get to go somewhere and see something that no one else gets to see. For sure. It's definitely this unique experience that they're always going to remember versus, you know, just watching a movie on a Monday night at 7 p.m. versus any other time on any other day during any other year. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, even with movies and TV, those actors aren't really opening up and being vulnerable. They're pretending to be other people. It's so rare in our lives today that we hear someone just speak truth in such a powerful way. It's just it's a wonderful thing. Definitely. I'm excited to go to a moth storytelling night myself one day. Um, and so I wanted to ask you then, so how exactly did you get your start in this sort of, you know, like professional storytelling? <laughs> it was an accident, to be honest with you. My friends began listening to the Moths podcast and, uh, you know, they put out a couple stories a week and my friends told me I have the worst life of anyone they've ever known, which is not true, but I've had <laughs> sort of a... I've had an unusual life full of, you know, really unexpected problems. And so they told me to go to the moth and tell a story. And I said, yes, really not intending to do it. You know, sort of like that. Yes, you say to friends, but you hope they forget. And they didn't forget. They just they kept hounding me until finally one day I said, I'm going to go tell one story at the moth and then I'm never going to do it again. And I went with my wife and I dropped my name in the hat and prayed that they wouldn't pull my name out of the hat because they only have 10 people tell stories on a given night. And my name came out 10th, and I took the stage and told the story. And I hated every minute of that night until I began speaking into the microphone. It was at that moment that I started talking that I knew I had found a place where I belonged. But truly, it was an accident. It was um, not planned in any way whatsoever. And what do you feel like that very first night at the Moth kind of felt for you? Was it like a cathartic experience? Did you just kind of start seeing storytelling as more and more of a kind of art form that helps you sort of gain a deeper sense of understanding for yourself. Um, how did that first night affect you? Yeah, that's part of it. I mean, you know, when I work on stories, I really do sort of figure things out in my life in a way I didn't before. You know, I write fiction as well. So when I'm writing my novels, and I've been doing that for a long time, I make everything up. And it's fun. And really, I love it. But the difference is when I'm telling a true story about my life, it's sort of like a puzzle. I have all the facts already. I can't add anything that didn't happen. Mm 
So my choices are only what am I going to say? What order am I going to say it in? How am I going to say it? And I love that idea that I have started with a pile of content that I then have to shape into something. So I really enjoy that process as well. But it is true that I've really come to understand myself and my life and other people through storytelling in a way I don't think that would have happened otherwise. Yeah, and I think um, you kind of touched on it a little bit here too. And I think it's kind of interesting then because when you do have to, you know, condense all these um, various events that you've gone through in your life, when you condense it to, you know, like a six to 10 minute story, and then you're reciting that for other people, I think it does really give yourself a sense of making seem like, okay, what were some of the most important things that have happened to me over the course of my life? How have these things affected me? So yeah, I think it's a really great place for, you know, this sort of self-reflection. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I tell people that storytelling is mostly choice. Uh, you know, bad storytellers just say the first thing that pops into their head. They often just tell stories in the order that it happened, you know, in the order that they remember it. And real storytellers, you know, great storytellers are making choices every step of the way. Do I need to say that? Does that event need to be in there? Can I take that person out of the scene because they don't really play a role in the scene? So, you know, it's a lot of choice that you make and a lot of it is revealing parts about yourself through the process. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, and so I also wanted to ask you then, so if you do want to kind of make this, make these stories about yourself, learn more about yourself, share your story, but you're kind of thinking, I haven't really led, you know, like a very interesting or story-worthy life. I've just kind of had this ordinary life. Um, can you still tell that really good story? <laughs> yes. I mean, the mistake my friends made when they sent me to the moth to tell all of my terrible stories is those are not the stories that people love the most and they're the hardest stories to tell. Truly, the stories that people really adore are the small stories. They're the stories about tiny things that happen to us because those are the things people can connect with. You know, a little moment that happens in your life and suddenly you feel a little different, that's what people understand the best. So don't look for your big stories. Just look for little moments in your life that have some meaning and then find a way to share that. I think that's interesting. That whole, it makes you kind of like more relatable to audiences. Maybe they can connect with you more. Exactly. Um, yeah. And so I also wanted to ask then, so if you don't, you know, kind of plan on standing on stage and performing in front of all these people, can storytelling, storytelling still kind of help you when you're not necessarily working in those con constraints of, oh, I need to prepare something that will be interesting for these people? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do most of my storytelling off the stage. You know, if you ask me a question, I tell you a story. You know, I'm the worst golfer in the world, but I get calls to play almost every day because my friends know that as we hit the ball and I hit it into the woods, they're going to get a really good story along the way. So, you know, I work with people now on storytelling and just about every kind of person you can imagine takes my workshops, whether it's a, a businessman or someone who runs a nonprofit or a priest or a grandfather who can't get his grandchildren to listen to him or a college professor. Like truly every hum type of human being has passed through my workshops and found ways to use storytelling to help them uh, lead better lives and communicate better and connect to people better. Interesting, yeah. And so I also wanted to ask you then, so how exactly do you find and like distinguish between these sorts of tiny moments in your life to then like make it into a story? Well, I, I, you know, I call them five second moments. They're these moments where your heart just suddenly changes in some fundamental way. When I find these moments, they're always going to be the end of my story because that's the most important thing I'm going to say ever uh, in that story. So, you know, it, when my when I pick up my daughter and she whispers into my ear, this is so nice to be held, daddy. And I realize how big she's gotten. And I realize that someday soon, she's not going to be able to be picked up anymore. And, you know, I'm probably going to be the last human being that is able to hold her like a little girl because, you know, I'm stronger than my wife and her grandparents. You know, that's the moment I realize, oh, this is a story. This is a story about a father who realizes his daughter's growing up and he can't hold her like a little girl much longer. And that's better than like the time I died and had to be brought back to life or the other time I died and had to be brought back to life. Because parents understand that, you know, lots of people understand that idea about getting older and losing your youth and, you know, losing your children's youth. So I, I look for those moments, the moments where I feel my heart is like moved in some way. And then I know I have a story. 
Right. I think it's, again, going back to that whole idea of being relatable then. So if you do have this like super entertaining and funny story, yeah, I might get a few laughs. But the ones that are really going to like stay and connect with people for months after they see your story, or sorry, hear your story, will be these sorts of ones like the ones you're describing, I feel. And so, exactly. Yeah, that was a- yeah, that was a fascinating conversation, and I can't wait to hear more about storytelling from you. Unfortunately, we are out of time for this segment, but we will be continuing our conversation in the next part of the show. Right, our listeners, great. be sure. Sorry, what was that? I was just saying, great. <laughs> oh, yeah, awesome. Um, listeners, be sure to learn more about Matthew at matthewdix.com and also search for him on YouTube. I'm Joven Hundel, and make sure to also visit bethestarur.org for more information about Express Yourself and BTSYA. And also make sure to look forward to chapters from our new anthology. Be the Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, Positive Voices in a Changing Digital World. That's going to be available now along with um, Be the Star You Are founder and producer Cynthia Bryan's Chicken Soup for the Gardener's Soul and Growing with the Goddess Gardener. These books can all be found at CynthiaBryan.com slash online hyphen store. And make sure to also go to BeTheStarYouAre.org slash events to find more about upcoming opportunities for spreading positivity and positive message media as a part of our charity. This has been another segment of Express Yourself Teen Radio, and make sure to keep listening as we continue our enlightening conversation on the gift of literacy. Show the world your smile. Be the star you are. If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and edutained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be The Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. On Tuesdays at noon Pacific, teens talk and the world listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio on Voice America Kids. Come play with us at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. We don't care how you got here. We're just glad you showed up. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Thank you for staying with us here at Voice America Kids. I'm Jolyn Hundle, and our program is Express Yourself, giving youth across the world a voice to be listened to. Now, for this edition of Express Yourself, we're going to be extending a wonderful discussion about the gift of literacy with storyteller extraordinaire Matthew Dix. Welcome back, Matthew. Thank you so much. Yeah, and just kind of diving right back into the conversation we were having in the last segment... So I wanted to ask then, so your stories, uh, do they have to follow, you know, like a specific sort of format or is it all, can it be all just like free flowing, that sort of thing? I mean, there's craft that goes into them and depending on the type of story depends on sort of the best way to tell it. So that, you know, if your story takes place over a course of 10 minutes is a better way to tell it than if you're telling a story over the course of 10 years. But ultimately, you know, I think that as long as you're telling truth and you're being vulnerable and authentic, that's the most important thing. Uh, All the craft can come later if you're really speaking something that's honest and from the heart. Yeah, for sure. Um, And so I also wanted to ask you then about, you know, your experiences at these like moth slams and telling stories then. What have been some of your most surprising experiences? (laughs) Uh, I guess, you know, we talked about it before, but the most surprising thing is the things that people tell me when I step off my stage. Uh, The strangest thing is four times in my life I've stepped off the stage and a woman has come up and told me about her miscarriage. And in all four cases, I was the one and only person she'd ever spoken to about it. Uh, she just saw me as a person who was vulnerable and honest and someone she didn't have to see the next day, which is always good. You know, it's hard to reveal secrets to people who you share a cubicle with, you know, the next day. 
but I am the bearer of so many people's secrets, uh, who, people who trust me with something that they've never spoken to anyone in the world before. I never expected that to happen uh, as I was telling stories that I would hear so many stories in return. That's fascinating. And so it's sort of like a chain effect then. So you act vulnerable and you show off things that have happened in your life then, problems you're facing, all that. And then people come on and continue that even and get out of their show. I really like that. Yeah, um, and it's so, wonderful. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, and so I also wanted to ask you then, so you was kind of shifting the gears a little bit into your storytelling workshops. So you said, you know, like people from all walks of life, like grandfathers, businessmen, kids, all that sort of stuff might take your storytelling workshops. But um, have it, have, sorry, have having your storytelling workshops, has that sort of helped you hone your craft then about storytelling? Yeah. I mean, when I started teaching storytelling, I didn't want to teach it. It was one of those, everyone was asking me to teach them. And I told them I teach kids during the day. I'm an elementary school teacher, so I don't want to deal with adults at night uh, or on the weekends. <laughs> so eventually I said, I'm going to teach one workshop and that'll be it, one and done. And it turns out that listening to other people's stories and helping them figure out the best way to tell them has helped me tell my stories as well. And truly, I've learned as much about storytelling and helping other people as I've done on my own. So it's been a wonderful two-way street. Interesting, yeah. And then so what do you think is the biggest mistake that people, whether they've developed these stories or whether they are just kind of starting out one of your workshops, what do you think are the biggest mistakes that people make when trying to tell a story? Trying to tell a story? I guess it's that people don't really understand what stories are. You know, so often people think that stuff happened to me. So I'm going to tell about the stuff that happened in the order that it happened, and that will be a story. And typically it's not, you know, unless you really have a moment of what I think of as transformation or realization, you know, you've either changed in some perhaps infinitesimal but meaningful way, or you've suddenly discovered something about yourself or the world, you've changed your mind on something, you view a person in a new way, unless one of those things have happened, then you're just listing stuff that happened to you. And nobody really ever wants to hear your list of stuff. They, they want to hear that you, like, you learned something or you discovered you're a terrible person or you discovered that your mother was right all along and you'll never admit it to her, but like, you can't believe it that she was right. So they want to hear those kinds of things. But so often they just think, I'll just tell you what happened and that'll be a good story. And it rarely is. And then so what kind of approach then do you think they should take after that? So like, well, right now they kind of have this uh, like list of events, but they do want to take, take that and turn it into a story. What do you th suggest that they do from there? I think the most important thing is to figure out truly where your beginning and ending of a story is. I say it's like in a plane. You always want the takeoff of a plane to be good and the landing of your plane to be good. If there's turbulence in the air, you almost forgive it as long as you like get back on the ground in one piece. <laughs> so, you know, if the end of the story is that moment of realization or transformation, the beginning of your story has to be an approximation of the opposite of that so that you can actually watch that transformation take place. So if the end of my story, I discover that I'm a terrible human being, the beginning of my story has to be something about me thinking I'm not a terrible human being. Maybe I'm a wonderful human being. And then that transformation can take place and the audience can witness it. Uh, we don't often think of stories like that. We often just think, well, the first thing that comes to my mind is the first thing I'm going to say. And so if we can just find good beginnings and endings to stories that sort of work against each other, you know, oppose each other, you're going to be better than most storytellers because most people are not doing that when it comes to storytelling. Interesting, yeah. And uh, kind of continuing now this conversation on finding your story, I wanted to ask you about your homework for life approach. And so, can you give us any more details on that? Yeah, so this was a homework assignment I started by giving myself. I was the first one to do it. I, I wanted to get on stage and keep telling stories and I realized I was going to run out of stories eventually so I gave myself this homework assignment every night I sit down and before I go to bed I ask myself what is the most story worthy moment that happened during the course of that day uh, what is the moment that made that day different than any other day I've ever had even if the moment that I'm going to choose is ultimately not story worthy not even worth telling my wife about you know really boring and benign whatever it is I choose it and then I write it down. I don't write the whole story down because I don't believe in big, complicated strategies. I like things small and simple. So just in a spreadsheet, I 
Um, I have the date and the A column and the B column. I stretch to the edge of my computer. And just in that one line I have, I list what the story idea is or what the story-worthy moment idea is. And my goal was to maybe find you know, one story every three or four months. But the results have been amazing. I just discovered that our lives are filled with stories. We just don't see them because we haven't trained that muscle to see stories. So now I have this lens for storytelling where truly things happen around us all the time that we don't see. And sometimes when we do see it, we just end up discarding it like trash. And I just think it's terrible. So it's a process that I've gone through. And now my list of untold stories is about 400 items long. So I'm never going to run out of stories to take a stage on ever again because of this. And it's something that people do even if they're not storytellers. It's, a, it's really a life-changing process of looking at your life and finding the meaning in it and making sure that you think about that meaning and record it and then perhaps tell stories about it later. Wow, I think that can definitely be such an inspiring way to learn more about yourself, to be able to teach lessons to others, to do so much that I think that's a really great approach. But then I also wanted to ask you, so how do you go back then and sort of remember storytelling moments from the past? So even if you do do the homework for life every day and you start writing down these moments, how, are you, how do you then kind of look to the past and think about moments you've had previously? Sure. I mean, there's two good ways to do it. One of them is by doing homework for life, you oddly will crack yourself open and stories from your past will begin spilling out because you'll see something that happens in your today life. And once you really start to see those moments, moments from the past that are similar or echoes of the past will suddenly emerge and you'll be you'll be flooded with memories from, you know, years gone by. The other thing you can do, though, is just ask people to start telling stories because what invariably happens is when you allow someone to share a story with you, it will remind you of a story that's happened to you in the past. You know, I just was at a Moth Story Slam in maybe six months ago, and a woman was telling the story of her teenage bulimia, her battles with, um, you know, eating disorders. And it was a story about how she swallowed a spoon while trying to make herself throw up. And I turned to my friend and I said, oh my God, when I was a kid, I swallowed a penny and I had to call the operator because I couldn't ask my parents for help because they were terrible. So I called the operator and got help from the operator. And that was a memory I had completely forgotten until I heard this woman on stage talk about swallowing a spoon. And it ended up being a story that I went to tell on the moth stage and I want to slam and it's a really favorite story of a lot of people. And it was just a moment I had forgotten until I allowed myself to go to a space and listen to stories and allow people to share their lives. And then invariably my life will reveal itself to me. It's really, you have to listen to people's stories and allow people to share stories. Well, yeah, it's almost like they're kind of experiencing deja vu with yourself, like and new moments that keep on happening or hearing other people's stories and you kind of experience that whole sense of deja vu and it jogs your memory about that. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, and so I also wanted to ask you then, so do storytelling skills, even if you're, you know, you're not, you don't actually become a storyteller, do they help you in like other walks of life? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I work with people in job and college interviews who are telling stories. I, I, dating is a big deal right now for me. So people take my workshops because they, they can't get a second date because what they say on the first date is so terrible that no one wants to ever see them again. And so wow. like the ability to be able to tell a good story about yourself will actually you know, help people like you better. Uh, you can become more convincing through storytelling. I work with politicians and, uh, you know, people who are trying to get money in nonprofits and, you know, presidents of synagogues who are trying to launch campaigns to, you know, rebuild parts of the building. All of these things come through storytelling. You can just become a more likable, um, persuasive person who people want to spend time with when you can learn to tell a great story. Well, um, Matthew, I want to thank you so much for all the insight you've provided us. It's been a fascinating conversation. You know, I've learned a lot about this ancient art, and I want to thank you for appearing on the show today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And um, listeners, make sure to stay with us after the break, and also check out Matthew at MatthewDix.com and YouTube.com slash MatthewJohnDix. I'm Jolyn Hundel. Find more information about our show at ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Make sure to follow Be The Star You Are and express yourself at bethestarur.org to also support our show and find more segments like this. And make sure to stay on because when we come back, we'll be returning to our discussion on literacy.
Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. You're listening to Voice America Kids, now with 33% more active ingredients and no artificial coloring. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us here at Voice America Kids. I'm Jovan Hondo on Express Yourself, and today's theme is the gift of literacy. And in this last segment, we'll be ending this remarkable discussion on the gift of literacy with Express Yourself reporter Kenneth John and his segment 2020 Vision. And with that, let's welcome him on today. Hey, Kenneth. Hi, everyone. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking about how visuals and literacy relate to each other concerning education and development. Uh, now, I'm not going to be talking about film literacy, not exactly. Since I talked about film language in my last segment, and I really don't want to just repeat myself on that topic, uh, no, rather than talk about how visuals are similar to writing and reading, I actually want to talk about how video, videos and visuals can be used to teach writing and reading. And I've done a little bit of research on this topic, and I've come across a lot of sources talking about how videos and pictures are almost essential to have in the classroom. Um, you know, just talking about how using videos and pictures increase things like student engagement and critical thinking and generally harbor more positive learning attitudes. And this is a concept I personally really relate to, uh, mainly in two ways. One is with my raw reading ability. Uh, This might not be the best thing to admit here on Be The Star You Are, but for me, reading books was, and kind of still is, intimidating. I mean, it took me years to even start, much less finish, the Harry Potter series, since I broke into a light sweat every time I saw just how many pages and books there were. But I've come to learn that's one kind of situation where visuals can come to the rescue. Images have always helped me in my reading, and they seem to do the same for a lot of people. As a little kid, I, like many others, read Dr. Seuss and Laura Numeroff books my parents gave me. They were fun, and it felt nice to know that I was constantly accomplishing more and more by learning new words and phrases, all the while looking at cute, funny pictures. Most people begin reading with simple picture books, where you'll get a couple of easy-to-read and understand sentences and colorful illustrations. These picture books are great for people inexperienced with reading since they provide a number of unique elements that can help familiarize the act of reading. For one, pictures are generally more accessible and easy to understand. You don't want a first-time reader to be immediately scared off with endless walls and walls of tiny Times New Roman letters. You want to ease them into it, make them enjoy their experience so they keep coming back. Then, pictures help readers understand and analyze what the words on the page mean. You look at the sentence, then look at the corresponding picture, connect them in your mind, and bam, you've essentially got the basics of reading comprehension. Similarly, they make the connection between reading and the world. If read aloud, picture books combine listening and sight, making them multisensory and closer in experience to life in the real world. With that, you've got the beginnings of an excellent reader who not only can understand words and letters, but see the role of writing in the world. As I grew up, my involvement with images didn't stop with picture books. I talked about how the thick Harry Potter novels intimidated me during elementary school. Once I finally pushed myself into starting them, I remember constantly coming back to the cover art for the Harry Potter books while reading, using it as a kind of base platform from which I was able to think about the story's tone and world. It was essentially the same as what I was doing with Cat in the Hat. I was just relating pages and pages of text to a couple of pictures instead of a couple of words to a couple of pictures. This is exactly the way images served as a little extra development to a narrative or, you know, they can to an informative article. Sure, I did basically just admit that I needed picture books in the fourth grade, but in theory, uh, it did work to get me to read more, so it was beneficial nonetheless. (laughs) Uh, The second way visuals influence literacy is by promoting analytical reading and writing. 
Really, it's the same principle as the relationship with reading. Films and videos are just naturally more accessible and easy to absorb, but that doesn't mean they're unintelligent. Films have a lot of parts for students to dissect and analyze. Usually, the common approach to showing movies in a literature class is to screen one just as a reward or a way to unwind. But a film has has just as much depth as a piece of written work. The ability points out how music, colors, motifs, and shots all play a role in conveying a movie's message translates almost directly to the ability to point out certain words, sentence structures, and descriptions similarly play a role in conveying a book or article's message. Different elements, but same critical thinking. And even though I mentioned the common, low-pressure way in which movies are shown in class, I do know a lot of classrooms, especially nowadays with advancing technology, do indeed use videos to help students understand important concepts. I remember in our English class last year, we watched several video advertisements to learn about the fundamentals of argumentative writing and speaking. A makeup commercial with Jennifer Aniston brought up discussions about ethos and endorsements. A political ad brought up pathos and utilizing emotion. And an environmental restoration ad brought up logos and statistics. More personally, I've always been better at writing than most of my other academic subjects. And I realize now that it's most likely because I would dissect or listen and watch other people dissect movies and TV shows for fun in my free time. I developed a lot of my analytical skills just consuming the entertainment I liked. All in all, accessibility and simulation are the two key things that the visuals provide for students. Videos and pictures provide an alternative, probably more appealing medium to which people can relate the words they read and from which people can practice their analytical skills. Oh, very interesting stuff. Um, And I kind of just wanted to ask you then, so are visuals, do you think they're essentially required for bodies of work, or are they more of a helpful boost? Well, uh, as much as I want to say they're required, I think they're just 99% to that level. They're extremely important and helpful in, um, in teaching a student how to read and write, but I think technically in the end they're not absolutely necessary. Uh, they do a lot and they make things a lot easier. And they provide a lot of benefits and, you know, they can get you to that 99%. But I think you, it is technically possible to do it without. Yeah, you know, we always hear that saying, uh, don't judge a book by its cover. But a lot of times you are going to need, you know, an interesting cover to lure people in or a cover that enhances the message of your book or whatever um, work you're talking about. But I also wanted to ask you then, so do you think maybe using too many images might actually hinder the reader's ability to fully understand the themes and the points you're trying to get across? Um, I think that's, yeah, that's actually a very, like, a realistic and, you know, definite uh, situation. Because, like, what I was saying uh, with images is, they are kind of just a boost that eases you into it. And they are kind of like training wheels, I guess, in the sense of getting to getting to learn how to read and write. And if you kind of just keep training wheels on forever, then it's hard to know how to actually ride the real thing, how to ride the real bike. So it's possible to kind of make images, I guess, uh, something that people need to depend on. So it's important to kind of keep that in mind when using those visuals and images. And yeah, while they're really beneficial, uh, people need to, you know, read actual books and articles to go the distance and actually improve. Interesting, yeah. So I remember reading this book, um, like a while back, uh, The Invention of Hugo Cabret-Cabret, sorry, forgive my pronunciation. Um, and it had, I think it was around like 500 something pages, but then about half of them were pictures. And so I felt that like when I was nearing the end of the book, I felt that some of the pictures just started to like detract from the message for me. But I definitely saw, you know, like maybe at the beginning that they helped establish the setting, they helped establish where the book was going to be heading. But I don't know, you know, like some of the pictures really helped. I felt some of the pictures really didn't help. And then... I also ended up watching the movie. I think Martin Scorsese ended up directing an adaption of the movie, adaption of the book, Hugo. Um, And so kind of I wanted to ask you then, do you think watching 
movies and based off of books, especially one that might have been very visual heavy. Do you think that could be helpful then to understanding the book? Um, I think in certain situations it could be. Like with Hugo, I remember reading Hugo and kind of feeling the same way about the images, especially near the end where I was kind of just, I wanted to get back to the words and the story and the images were also kind of just uh, detracting or distracting for me. And I think movies kind of work in the same way where, you know, like a couple shots, like I was, I remember um, I read at least a part of The Lord of the Rings and I I had watched the, I hadn't watched all of the Lord of the Rings movies before, but I had still watched, you know, the famous shots of, you know, the camera circling around characters as they roam through the countryside. And those kind of couple minutes and seconds uh, that I had seen were actually really helpful uh, for me to kind of just picture the world and the tone uh, while I was reading the book. And then, you know, I went back and uh, watched the rest, watched the rest of the movies. Um, So in those kind of little, little segments, I guess, of a movie where there's just little scenes or little moments uh, that you can kind of sprinkle into your uh, book reading experience, I think that can help a lot, kind of like how the pictures in Hugo did. But then once you kind of once you kind of use too many, then the same thing with the end of Hugo, uh, it starts to happen where that's more distracting and you think about that more than what your own imagination can create. Definitely, yeah. And so, yeah, I wanted to just thank you, Kenneth, for such a phenomenal segment. Your segments are always very insightful and perceptive. Um, with that, however, it is sadly time to say farewell. We do give our thanks to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be the Star You Are, and our Voice America Kids group, especially our voice engineer, Josh. Um, thanks to our guests and reporters from across the world, and thank you to you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. I'm Joven Hundel, and you've been listening to Express Yourself, an honorary global community where teams talk and the world listens. For info on our creative community, charity efforts, and outreach programs, go to our main site at bethestarur.org, and until next week, remember... Read, promote literacy, be generous, and be here. Speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself. Produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine between the lines if you would let yourself go.